I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The end goal, I would say, is similar mm-hmm. in terms that they do not want one particular company to dominate the entire, entire industry. So China is just enforcing it more stringently. And that's why you can see that the relevant punishments that were melted out last year as well. They can enforce more stringently because they can. <laughs> but, okay, that's another story. Yes, yeah, okay. that, that's definitely another on. story. Yeah, but, yeah. but naturally, because of... Hello, my name is Andrew and welcome to another Chill with TFC episode. In this series, we talk to interesting people with relevant experience and insights to help us learn from their perspectives so that we can create the life we love and manage our finances as well. Many people want to explore China and H-shares, which are shares of China companies listed in Hong Kong. How do these companies operate? What's their business outlook in terms of the global and the regional? What's the liquidity like? What's the volatility like? And how do they compare with investing in the Singapore markets? My guest today is a market specialist with CGS CIMB Securities China Solutions team with a focus on Hong Kong and China markets across a wide range of product classes such as equities, CFDs, futures and forex. Let's welcome Samuel. Okay, so I was talking to your colleague about the Hong Kong markets. And honestly speaking, because I mean, we're Singaporean retail investors, maybe we invest in the US market, right? but when it comes to the Hong Kong market, it's, it's honestly a little confusing. So what should be the, the main things I should know about regarding Hong Kong market or investing in the Hong Kong markets? Well, actually investing in the Hong Kong market is very similar to investing in Singapore markets as well. But why people look at investing overseas is because mainly of diversification. And I think that for Hong Kong markets, it give this a particular edge because it does offer something Singapore do not. For example, it offers uh, exposure to the Chinese markets because we all know that Hong Kong is actually sort of a proxy to China because uh, Chinese markets are quite inaccessible to most people due to the relevant uh, regulations, etc. And people will find or seek alternatives in the Hong Kong markets because a lot of these uh, major Chinese players are actually listed in Hong Kong, such as your prominent Alibaba, Tencent, Meituan, Xiaomi, etc. So with that in mind, people will use that as an alternative. And not only that, aside from your major Chinese companies that are listed in Hong Kong, Hong Kong is also pretty much uh, more liquid than Singapore. Hong Kong's turnover is about 2.22 billion, whereas Singapore's turnover is around 1.2 billion. So you can see the drastic difference in terms of the liquidity between the Hong Kong market and Singapore markets. Aside from that, Hong Kong, in terms of market capitalization, is the third largest in the world. So this is after US as well as China. So you can see that it's also generating a lot of interest globally. And I think that that is what paints it differently from the Singapore markets. And it offers an alternative for investors when they are seeking investment to, to look at overseas markets. Mm, so more liquidity and there's more opportunities. And when we say we can't access some companies because we can't even open up an account to invest in those companies, right? And therefore, Hong Kong market is known as the gateway to China, as, as your colleague team described it. Yes, definitely. Because uh, what happens is that, like you were saying, a lot of the, those Chinese stocks cannot be bought. And the only way they can be bought is via the Stock Connect. And the Stock Connect is linking from the Hong Kong exchange to the uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen uh, mm. exchanges, respectively. However, that being said, not all the stocks 
available on the Shanghai and Shenzhen Stock Exchange can be bought via the Stock Connect. And that is why people use Hong Kong as a proxy because a lot of these companies or alternatives can be found on the Hong Kong markets as a whole. Okay, okay. So what should we take note of? I know there are a lot and you can Google some of them. It still gets a bit confusing. But what are the you know the most important things that we need to take note of before we invest? I, I would say the most important things would naturally be the lot size. Lot size. Because uh, the lot, lots, lots, uh. yeah, the lot size, unlike Singapore, Singapore, we... We do know for the SGX is 100 lot size per counter, uh, 100 shares per lot size, I mean. But then for uh, Hong Kong, it varies depending on the price of the, the stock accordingly. So I think that as well as the price movement, that are the two things that people have to take note of because it varies from counter to counter depending on the size of the counter in Hong Kong exchange. Okay, so give us an example of how different is the, the price movement. Okay, so if we are looking at the bigger cap stocks, the bigger cap stocks is around 1 Hong Kong cents. But if we're looking at the smaller cap stocks, it can be uh, 0.05. So so it depends on the, the bid size is slightly a bit different depending on the share size. Okay. But I will not delve so much into the dynamics because I think that that can be easily found online when you want to, when you are ready to invest. Mm-hmm. And I think that, of course, we will definitely have to do our homework to see how much the lot size, because it will uh, come to our position size. And then we have to size it accordingly based on our available liquidity. Mm. So what's your investment strategy, whether it's your personal strategy or when you work with your clients, right, in terms of how you want to tackle the, the Hong Kong market? And let's think of it in terms of like the global, I mean, some people invest in US, we will have some Singapore stocks as well, being in Singapore ourselves. And then there's the Hong Kong market. How do you allocate? How do you approach it? What's your framework? Actually, I think it depends on individual because it depends on how comfortable you are with the market. I always think that there's no one-size-fits-all solution. It's always boils back down to individual. What suits me may not suit you. So it depends on the risk profile of the person as well as their comfortability in the China markets. Because I think that as we go along, uh, the different generations of people tend to have certain levels of uh, biasness against particular countries. And I think that we have to take that in mind when we are actually constructing a portfolio. So what may suit me, because I may feel that China is a growth story and that there's much more opportunity in China may not suit another person of a similar demographics as me who may feel that he is more bullish on the US markets per se. So like a very good example between me and Tim, we hold slightly opposite views of each other. Okay, let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, what's his view and what's your view? Oh, oh, Tim is actually more bullish on US and less bullish on China. Whereas uh, I tend to think that actually China holds a lot of growth story and that going forth after the regulatory risk is resolved because they're actually putting the regulatory risk in terms for the long-term future and long-term growth prospects. Once that volatility is resolved, we can see that maybe in the long run, there's much more uh, growth opportunities from there. Mm, why are you bullish? I think that uh, end of the day, it goes back down to uh, personal belief because we can see that China's market is still largely untapped. Meaning to say that as compared to the US, whereby a lot of uh, global investors are already in it, we can see that China markets largely still belong to the emerging market, emerging markets category. And that being said, being in the emerging markets category means that there's actually more room for growth because when more global fund houses enter to this chi- market and if Chinese markets become more accessible to global fund houses, we can see that unlimitless growth opportunities. And this is very apparent around three to four years back when the MSCI started including some of these Chinese equities into the MSCI index as well as start started growing like various uh, Chinese portfolios on uh, Chinese equities as well as Hong Kong equities. And that actually caused markets to rise. We can also see that China markets are opening up, such as the Hong Kong Stock Connect that I mentioned earlier, whereby you can see that when the Stock Connect actually opened, there was a lot of fund flow from Hong Kong to buy into Chinese equities and vice versa. So I think that with that being said, there is still much growth story on, in that aspect. 
even though last year we saw mm. that there's a huge sell-off, especially in the tech sector due to the regulatory risk. Uh, but that being said, I think it's for the greater good because what happens is that if you look at China's five-year plan, they are actually looking towards globalization. And for that to happen, they need regulations in place so that they can actually control the growth and then make makes it uh, garner more confidence for investors to actually invest into it as well as to, in, to grow their business in China itself. I think it's interesting how we are all presented with the same information and yet come to different conclusions. For example, the growth story has been pretty much dampened last year, like you mentioned, with the regulatory risks, right? But And some people will tell you, okay, China, don't catch falling knives. You know, you, you don't know what the next policy move is going to be. But for you personally, you see the, the growth potential, right? Yes. It, it comes down to your belief and your core thesis about how the, the Chinese companies are going to do in the future. That Definitely. That's why I say it boils back down to how you view the overall growth story and how you feel that the policies will restructure the overall landscape in that particular country. I think that different people view things differently. That's why I say that there's no one-size-fits-all solution. And for people who do not believe in it, no matter how you convince them, they will not buy into your story. Mm. But for those who actually feel that there's a spark in it and there's a long-term growth story in that aspect, then naturally they'll be more receptive of the idea. So how do you think it's going to play out? We know what happened last year. Many YouTube channels, different podcasts are talking about it. Maybe you give us a, a summary and then what you think will happen from this year onwards, from this point onwards. Well, I, I think that uh, go, going back into the regulatory risk, we can see that uh, last year itself, there was huge sell-off. And then I think that if you compare just a last year performance from the Hang Seng Index, as well as the Chinese indices per se, versus the US indices, US indices were in the green, 20 over percent, while Chinese indices were in the red, 20 over percent. So you can see the large drastic spectrum about that. But that being said, there are two ways to look at it. One is that if uh, things have fallen so much, valuations are relatively more attractive. Yet, there's another way of looking at it is that since it has fallen so much, what makes you think it can't fall further? Yeah, low can low go lower. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, so na- naturally, I think it depends on how we look at it. But why it actually fell so much is mainly because the regulatory risk caught people off guard. There's nothing new because on the five-year plan or in fact, prior to last year, China has been always emphasizing on anti-monopoly. So by having this anti-monopoly in, in place, what it's actually trying to do is to ensure that no one player gets to dominate the entire industry. This is actually something the US is trying to do as well. If we look at it, they are having this antitrust law, yeah, which they are actually still fighting in parliament, etc. Oh, the culture actually... of these two different places quite different. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite, so, quite different. Right. But, but then that being said that the end goal, I would say, is similar mm-hmm. in terms that they do not want one particular company to dominate the entire, entire industry. So China is just enforcing it more stringently. And that's why you can see that the relevant punishments that were melted out last year as well. They can actually, enforce more stringently <laughs> because they can. But, okay, that's another story. Yes, yeah, okay. that, that's definitely another story. Yeah, but, yeah. but naturally, because of that in mind, then you can see that markets uh, did a huge sell-off in mm-hmm. fear that China would, in fact, push it down even lower because uh, the overall direction is there. But if we look at the long-term growth story, why that direction is in place is because they want the smaller players to strive mm. as well as they want that more competition in that industry. And going forth, I think that we can see that things have toned down slightly in this year. Even though we can see few years, uh, sorry, few weeks back whereby China actually have statement on the food de- delivery apps mm. because they wanted a uh, lower cost to actually help the restaurant owners, etc., which resulted in fear in markets reigniting, whereby people are afraid that the regulatory risk that is back into concern. However, I would say that as compared to last year, whereby it halted production of games or it halted, halted c- certain developments, 
what is melted out this year so far is much lighter already. And in fact, so far, the only things that it has actually issued was actually fines. Whereas last year, there was more like stoppage of businesses or suspension of licenses, etc., which was more severe. So I think that judging from the tone of things, it has actually welted down quite a lot already. Okay, so you're, you're looking at what's been happening this year. Uh, you think that they have sort of mellowed a little, you know, pull back a little on all the policies. You think the major majority of the moves have been done last year. Yes. And from this point onwards, it is possible that they will not do as much regulation as they did in the previous year. Definitely. But of course, I think that uh, people will be looking towards their uh, policy meeting just next week. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're recording this on 28 February. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, tell us a bit more. So, so I, I mean, as in yearly, the, the CPC will have an annual meeting mm. whereby they will actually uh, set out strategies that they want to achieve their five-year goal for the year. Yeah, there's always the uncertainty, <laughs> right? I mean, un- unless I'm in the government, I, I wouldn't know what they're thinking about. Definitely. Yeah. So I think that people will be looking towards that for more direction. Mm-hmm. However, what actually people are feeling will transpire this year is not so much on the technology side, but more on the travel side, mm-hmm. whereby China could open up. And our analysts are quite bullish on that, that uh, the consumer sector may see more growth after the sort of like the meeting uh, next week itself. Okay, so in terms of the COVID measures, they've been pretty tight, pretty yes. stringent, even within the country itself. And while I, I have friends who, who are there who did not dare to come back to Singapore because she's <laughs> afraid that she will not, will not be able to go back again, right? Because she has to work there and all that. Yeah, so okay, you're bullish on that. Yes, because how to say that what happens is that our analysts, mm. they are actually very optimistic about this because what happens is that after the Beijing Olympics, whereby you can see that there's no uh, major outbreak. And then after then, you can see that they are looking at towards this policy meeting where, the, where they will shed some light towards the future direction of travel in China itself. Mm. Because even in its general blueprints that it was released uh, early this year, it also stated that by the end of this year and early next year, they would like uh, their airports to increase capacity by how many percent, their, tra- their sort of travel flow to increase by how many percent, etc. So I think that all of these are technically signs towards China relenting in terms of its strict COVID measures. However, all of these are still theory on paper only. Mm, and right. na- naturally, we have to wait for further confirmation from the Chinese government side. Mm. But that being said, I think that our analysts are still bullish on it at the moment and we have to see how things transpire. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's interesting is that listening to our podcast is like time travel. Because like I said, we're recording this on 28 February. By the time you, you the listener, listen to this episode, the CCP will have made announcements. So how, how does your team work? I mean, you're bullish on it, but I'm sure you're planning for different scenarios, right? Like what if it doesn't work out the way you intended? I mean, as in naturally, if it doesn't happen on the way it is, there will be a revaluation of the sector. Okay. But that being said, I, I think that sectorial by sectorial it differs and the long-term growth story of China still remains intact. Because that being said, having a COVID zero policy, we do know that have, its, have definitely its cons. But naturally, in terms of the healthcare side of things, it's better in terms of 
uh, controlling the whole outbreak. Like we can see that in the various countries right now, even if we look at our Asia Pacific, like Hong Kong, like example, South Korea, even back home in Singapore, the numbers are rising once again. Mm. And naturally, uh, people are worried because of the implications it, it will cause to the healthcare system, as well as the death rate, etc. So even though right, right now, definitely we are more protected against COVID than we were a year or two ago, because we are all vaccinated, etc. Or large portion are vaccinated. But net, that being said, uh, I would still think that it's still a cause for concern. Mm. And then uh, there's no right and there's no wrong to the policies in place. But I think that both have its pros and cons in the long run. Okay. And, and since you're bullish on this market, right? What are some sectors you're looking at? What are some opportunities that you're looking at? I think that if we're looking at opportunities, definitely we should go on something that people are more familiar with. So I think when definitely when we talk about Hong Kong, or I tell you Hong Kong markets, what are the, what are the few of the counters that Alibaba, are the top of your mind? Tencent, yeah. Mm, that definitely. So mm. it's more of the tech sector because yeah. I think that end of the day, even in the US, a lot of people are also looking at tech, looking at the green energies, etc. And I think it's similar for China as well. China and Hong Kong, where we are looking at tech and green energies. But that being said, something unique about the Hong Kong tech sector is that the Hong Kong tech sector is differentiated into many different portions. Mm. So what you have heard of, like maybe the like Alibaba, Tencent, Xiaomi, uh, Meituan, they belong to the major tech sector. Major tech sector, they belong to the platforms, etc. But what is interesting is that there's a number of uh, hardware supply chains hidden in this tech sector that is also listed in Hong Kong. And that may be something that people will be looking towards. Why is it a growing sector in that aspect? It's because that when we look at your next generation of phones, the next generation of cars and everything, a lot of them rely on hardware on semiconductor on chips. So like example, let's talk about your VR technology, whereby you are relying a lot on the new generation of camera lenses, whereby you need these high quality camera lenses to actually capture this kind of video quality. Okay. VR, but the camera lens is referring to... Sorry, AR. Oh, AR, okay. Yes. okay. Ah, to, to make sure that you, you see the augmented reality in front yes, of you, right? Correct. Okay. So okay. like example, even we talk about your smart cars, mm. your smart cars also require these high-end lens cameras okay. to actually detect the surroundings and whatnot. So I think that all of these are very interesting in that aspect because a lot of these lens providers are actually listed in Hong Kong. Things like, example, your Sunny Optical, okay, your Q technology, as well as your real semiconductor. All of these are actually, they will help produce all of these chips and they are actually supplying to your major brand names. Like example, Sunny Optical is actually supplying to Apple as well as like example, Q technology is supplying to Samsung, Vivo, as well as Huawei, etc. So all of these are actually showing that beyond the smartphone, there is this untapped opportunity of the supply chain itself. Mm. And so this supply chains last year has been actually generating a lot of uh, revenue. The shipments of the these like lenses, etc. has gone up year on year. And people are still wanting uh, more of such things because we can look at the next wave of like example technology whereby hardware is increasingly important as compared to software as well. I think that's interesting. So these are hardware companies and you give the example of them uh, supplying camera lenses, right? Is that all they do? Uh, are they, do they supply any other hardware? Definitely. Mm. Aside from camera lenses, right. some of these companies also supply semiconductor chips mm. or like example, your various uh, chips for the, their smartphones to actually function. And I think that one thing that people fail to recognize is that China is actually wanting to actually be self-reliant in terms of this production of the semiconductors as well as technology, Mm. hardware stuff. It's because we can see that even from the Russia-Ukraine conflict, when the US actually imposed tensions, first thing they actually imposed tensions is on hardware chips. Mm. 
is on the semiconductors. And so by, by having more own self-reliance, it actually uh, breaks away from these threats of overseas cutting their supply because we all know that actually all of these chips are very important in terms of the overall ecosystem of the uh, technology sector. And I think that having their own chips also brings about security because when the Sino-US tensions first happened, I think two to three years back, first thing the US made noise on was actually on the security of these chips, etc. So I think that... It goes both ways. They they make make noise both ways, right? Definitely. But Mm. I think that right now with a lot of uh, emphasis by the Chinese government on it, these Chinese companies are also picking up production and also trying to be more self-reliant. Okay, so what's their relationship with, how do they view Taiwan Semiconductor in this space? I would say that it's a very, very sensitive mm. I- issue because Taiwan Semiconductor, mm. even though it's listed in the US, the yeah. geogro- geopolitics of things yeah. is a bit uh, sensitive and I'd rather not dwell that deep into it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I understand. But we can follow the threat of this uh, hardware, this supply chain, right? I mean, we look at Apple, we think of the smartphone, but actually behind the smartphone, there's a camera lens, there's the chips. And so you give examples, right? Are there more examples of such companies that we could possibly look at, you know, hardware supply chain angle? So aside from that, I think some of the chip suppliers include SMIC and naturally we look at Cowell E-Holdings as well because uh, all of them are chip manufacturers and naturally they have been boosting some of their productions over the past year. Mm. Off of mind, do you know like how, how are their numbers doing? All right, their numbers are actually increasing because what happens, we all know that there was a trip. Revenue, profits, uh, stock price. Revenue, profits also increasing. Okay. I would say in terms of like stock price is a little bit wobbly. I would say why is that so is because the overall sentiments towards the Hong Kong markets last year was negative. Mm, So I mean, it will pale in comparison to the US markets per se. Mm. But naturally, if you are looking at the specific uh, counters in terms of revenue, they are growing. And in terms of we look at their fourth quarter earnings, it has actually expectations by a high double digits for most of these companies and why that is so is because there was a chip shortage situation last year and people are predicting that it's going to persist this year as well aside from that we can also see that just to be a bit lower so yeah I, I mean as in what I've stated just now that China is actually enforcing a lot of its supply chain issues mm. and so this has caused it to uh, ramp up production so I think at year on year we can see that actually China's shipment last year towards uh, globally in terms of the chips actually increased and the demand is still rising so you're saying it's so, so strategic for China to you know ramp up and enforce certain you know production level naturally naturally I, I would mm. say that right now we all know that there's a shortage situation yeah. and that there is a huge demand for it. Even in the US during their Congress meetings, they have also highlighted that the security of the supply chain with regards to the chips are ever so important. And I think that that should actually weigh down people's mind as well. Mm. That aside from the software that a lot of people are looking at, aside from the big names or the e-commerce giants, we should know that underlying the supply chain is also very important for these companies to function as well. Okay. Are you positioning yourself for the chip shortage situation? I think that largely it has been factored into markets. Mm. But personally, I feel that it will persist as well. But how severe it will carry on is still anybody's guess. Because end of the day, I would say that it is uh, dependent on a number of factors. Mm. And of it, one is actually a lot of geopolitics. And so if uh, geopolitics at play, it's very hard to phantom what is going to happen. It's because if like example, let's say 
China, uh, US suddenly bans China imports or mm. increase tariff from Chinese imports, then naturally you will see that the demand would be affected in one way or another. So I, I think that is still pretty much very fluid right now, the whole situation. And it depends on how things play out, especially Sino-US relations are actually back in focus once again after a recent uh, news flows whereby US is saying that doing trade with China is getting harder and harder. Yep. So your personal strategy in investing in the Hong Kong market is, is more stock picking, right? Or do you invest in funds or ETFs that are that belong to this team? Actually, I would say that it depends on... Mm. I prefer to do stock pick, right. but naturally for people who are not very familiar with the Chinese or Hong Kong markets, it's good to start with a thematic play. Mm. And I think that right now, Hong Kong has actually uh, created a lot of these sub-indices, whereby instead of your main Hong Kong index, right now you still have the Hong Kong tech index, etc., which particularly uh, captures this uh, technology team. So like example, the Hong Kong tech index, it actually, most of its uh, percentage around 40 plus percent is actually comprising of the top four stocks that we have mentioned just now, Tencent, Alibaba, Xiaomi, and Meituan. Mm-hmm. And I think that going going to that, it can be also used as a position team to say that, oh, if you are bullish on the tech sector, you can go into that. It's also served as the Nikkei equivalent in the Hong Kong market, lah, mm-hmm. we would say that. But aside from that, there are also a lot of ETFs. Like example, if you want to capture on the biomedical team, there's an ETF that follows the pharmaceutical index. There's also ETF that follow the particular property index, etc. But I would say that in terms of Hong Kong, there are very many teams ongoing and depends on which team you like to follow. So like example, uh, some people are avoiding the property sector for now because of the recent clampdowns last year. And then we can see that the property sector, the Chinese property sector is actually still struggling in one way or another. So people are avoiding that. But yet, they are more bullish on other sectors, like example, those green sectors, like example, your Singy Glass, etc., that actually produces your solar films, your solar panels. So I think that all of these are depending on how you want to actually position yourself because there are many different sectors that are prominent in Hong Kong that you cannot find in Singapore. Like in Singapore, there's definitely don't have those that focus on the green sector or the carbon emission, etc. Whereas for Hong Kong, there are. Okay, so for green energy play, any companies that you know of that we should really look at? You can look at the Singy family because under the Singy umbrella, there's a lot of companies, sort of like Singy Glass, Singy Solar, etc. So you can look at that umbrella because our analysts not, not only are bullish on that, that company itself have a lot of synergy because of all the subsidies that combine to giving it a greater the greater goal. Ah. Okay, got it, got it. So I'm asking about the active stock picking versus funds, right? Because well, you personally know a lot about the supply chain and that's why you have a, what do you call it, a circle of competence there, right? But for a typical average Singaporean retail investor, what are, you know, your final tips for us when we invest in the Hong Kong market? What should we know about how prepared should we be in terms of volatility? Uh, what's the retail investors versus the institutional investors space you know how is it like you know what what should we know any final tips for us so i think that as somebody who is new to investing in hong kong i think that when one invests in hong kong is definitely for diversification and you should be comfortable with what you're picking meaning same as singapore markets you have to understand the business understand the landscape first if you can understand and if you feel you can relate to it then uh, you can go into it but if you feel that it's too complicated for you, then naturally you may want to avoid it first because going into something that is hugely unknown to you is extremely high risk. And how I like to put it is like gambling because you don't know what you're getting yourself into. 
But then by having a clearer picture, then naturally if you know what you're investing into and you have faith in the company's long-term growth story, then naturally is or the faith in the long-term sectorial growth of the particular sector you're investing in, then naturally it will bring about uh, much much uh, well-deserved returns when uh, things turn for the better because at least you know what to expect and even if it goes against you, at least you know that, oh, you have factored in that risk because you already, you already know that, oh, I have to be prepared for certain kind of like downside risk due to whatever reasons. For example, technology, whereby regulatory risk is always one of the concerns. So when you buy into the technology stock, you know that, okay, if regulatory risk comes into mind, what am I, how much am I prepared to lose? Mm. Because it's, it's already a known factor. Of course, we cannot predict the unknown, but at least for those that are known, we have to know what we are thinking. It is, it is known that there will be regulatory risk. <laughs> it's just what, ex- what exactly will happen, we don't know. Right? Yeah, okay. correct. But no, but... That being said, there can be a sudden thing that happened that none of us know yet. Yeah. Maybe not regulatory. Maybe suddenly there's another factor that nobody has predicted so far. So that is something we cannot peer through the crystal ball to look at. Right. But things that are really prominent, mm. we should at least know what we are getting ourselves into. Mm. And I think that going into it, uh, liquidity as well as volatility-wise is definitely more than the Singapore markets. Okay. So your risk profile has to be slightly higher. Because like example, let's say if your Singapore markets, uh, one day their average movement is around 2 to 3%, do expect that Hong Kong markets can be 5 to 6% in terms of the intraday movement when uh, markets become very volatile. Mm, but compared so, to the US? I, I would say it's similar. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's similar in that aspect. But depending, some people may be pure Singapore investors and then... 5 to 6 is a lot, yeah. but for some, like 4 to 6 is less. You Correct. Know. If you're looking at Forex, 5 to 6 is nothing. Yeah, another walk in the park. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, it really depends on individuals. But yeah. I would say the take-home message is really just know that the world is a bigger place. We should not just put all our eggs in one basket in Singapore and we should really consider looking at various uh, markets and teams. And I think Hong Kong presents itself as a very unique angle, a very number of unique sectors that may not be apparent in Singapore. Things like, example, your casino sector, your Macau casino sector. So I think that all of this will present different opportunities for people. And then uh, I'd say keep an open mind and then just look at things. And if you're comfortable with it, you feel that you like the growth story, then maybe you can start nimbling. Mm. And I mean like by doing cost dollar averaging because if you're going to something you don't know, best is not to all in at the first stage, but actually go in maybe at small bite sizes. And once you're comfortable, then go in in greater amount. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Samuel. Thank you for listening all the way here. Stay after this outro because usually we have some bonus content right at the end. It's like the end credit scene of a movie. But before that, I hope you've learned something useful today. If you like more of this content, join our Telegram group, follow us on social media, sign up for our newsletter. For all this and more, check out thefinancialcoconut.com. My name is Andrew. Stay tuned for the next episode of Chill with the Financial Coconut. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
What is one of your core life principles? What I believe is to do the best in whatever you do and don't look back in regret. So I feel that with you living life to its fullest at every point of time and doing the best, you will tend to retrieve the maximum optimum results. What's the piece of financial advice that comes to your mind that you think should be shared more often? I feel that uh, diversification is something that a lot of people, especially the uh, middle to older generation, do not seem to comprehend well because they like to uh, buy in something that they already can see. Uh, what I feel is that we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket, that being geographically. So as long as we can relate to the particular sector or company, we should try to spread our investments so that uh, when something falls, we, we don't carry all of our money with it. Which area of your life are you giving additional focus right now? Uh, well, actually, I'm, I'm, I, I would say that aside from my ongoing investments, whereby I'm trying to continue hone my skills in that aspect, I'll, I'm also trying to pick up things that I haven't really done in school life. Like right now, I'm learning actually a new language. So I'm actually pursuing Japanese at the moment. Japanese? Oh, yeah. okay. Could you be investing in the Japanese market next time? <laughs> I would say the Japanese market is still very different mm. in, in terms of uh, the overall concepts. And investing in Japanese markets, usually people will go more for those uh, mutual funds as well as the funds that are in their pension approved investment teams. Because usually for the Japanese markets, when they actually have buybacks, they will, they will use their buybacks to buy in terms of the pension approved funds. Okay, so maybe now learning for interest, can watch anime, <laughs> can go to Japan and order at the restaurants and all that. Yeah, right? Okay, all right. Thank you. Thank you, Samuel. Thank you.